My family and I were living in Cedar Rapids in June of 2008 when the Cedar River catastrophically overwhelmed its banks and flooded the city. Those of you living in Waverly in 2008 understand some of what we went through. The, the flood was so big that it made the 500-year floodplain look like a puddle. Uh, the, the streets just disappeared. Uh, uh, rooftops could be seen as if like they were tombstones indicating the watery grave of some home or business. Tens of thousands of lives were completely upended. Who knew that water, such an essential element for life, could cause such devastation and destruction? Because the, the flood was so massive, it, it made national news. And an organization called Eight Days of Hope, the organization that we recently supported through our Christmas Impact Gift, they normally went to cities that had been affected by hurricanes. But when they saw the flooding on the national news in Cedar Rapids, they knew they needed to come. And so hundreds of volunteers from all over the U.S. came to Cedar Rapids, Iowa for eight days to help in the rebuilding efforts. Now, I am possibly the unhandiest man that God ever put on the face of the planet. The, the guys who helped to move the walls and do all of this work in this place, I, I basically like went and bought paint and got the Jimmy Johns. You know, like they basically like, Aaron, I'll take the hammer. I, I, I'm just not gifted in those ways. But yet I knew I should probably do my little part to help with the rebuilding efforts. And so I signed up to help Eight Days of Hope. Uh, one of the places that I got assigned to was in Palo, Iowa. Palo was a, a small town of about uh, like 14, 15 miles just outside of uh, Cedar Rapids. And the home that we were going to was a somewhat elderly couple. The, the, the husband was retired, but he'd been having some health issues for quite a while. And so he just hadn't been able to do much in rebuilding and in helping their, their house out. And you've got to understand their house was two miles away from the Cedar River. And yet not only did the waters reach their house, not only did the waters fill their basement, the waters got to five foot high on the first level and they hadn't been able to do anything. And now mold was beginning to set in and they were living in the second floor and all they had on the second floor was one bedroom and that's where they were living. They basically couldn't use their kitchen. The bathroom was, it was unusable. And so we were coming in to try to help them. One of the first things we determined that we needed to do was to get them a working bathroom. I mean, they were having to go to neighbors and family just to, you know, use the toilet. In, in this bathroom on the main level, the only one in the whole house, the, the toilet had been completely unseated. The, the, the sink was unstable. The wood was just absolutely rotting. And we realized we couldn't just come in and kind of shine things up and, you know, slap a few things on. What, what we needed to do was to actually rip almost everything out so that we could start a new. Have you ever faced something in life, whether it be a project or, or maybe you're, you know, working on a car or maybe just something in your own personal life where you reach a point and you realize I can't make this better. I, I'm stuck. And you, you get up to a place where you basically have to scrap it, tear it apart, destroy it so that you could finally move forward. I remember years ago listening to an interview uh, with Donald Miller. Uh, Donald is now the CEO of the Story Brand Company. Uh, basically, the Story Brand Company tries to help businesses write a good story through their, their products and through their customer service. But before he started Story Brand, he was just primarily an author. 
And in this interview, he said that there was a time where he was working on a book and there was a chapter that he got so frustrated with. It was not communicating what he wanted to. And he kept revising and editing and, and he got to the place where he just finally ripped the whole thing up, threw it away and started fresh. He needed to rip it apart so that he could finally get where it needed to go. If you've ever been lost while hiking or maybe driving, you know that sometimes the only way to go forward is, is to go back. It, it, it's a bit like a doctor who is trying to set your broken bones sometimes has to re-break it so that it can finally heal properly. Today, we come to the second message, second prayer in our Dangerous Prayer series. Last week, we looked at the prayer, Lord, search me. That prayer was a prayer for openness. It was a, a preparatory prayer, a prayer of surrender, basically saying, God, would you search me? And God, not only know me, would you please reveal to me anything in me that is not of you? But you see, we've got to go a step further. If we're going to truly and fully follow Jesus, we can't just say, God, search me, know me, reveal it to me. And then we look at it and go, whoa, yeah, that, that's kind of a lot. That's, that's a lot of sin. That's a lot of selfishness. Oh, man, that stinks. Because we have to go to the next step where we need to say, God, now I invite you in to change this. And sometimes that changing process, it means God needs to break a few things in us. He needs to break us of some patterns. He needs to break us of some of the things that we think. He needs to break us of selfishness. He needs to break us of our sin. But that is an uncomfortable prayer. That's why we had to start with, Lord, search me, so that today we can get to the place where we say, Lord, break me, because I want nothing more than to love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. So, Heavenly Father, I just pray right now that you would begin the breaking process in the, some of us. Lord, there are some of us here today that, that we thought we were just coming to church to sing some songs, to hear a message, and, and, and call it good. But today is going to be different. Today, you're going to interrupt life. And you're going to remind us just how much you love us. But it means we're going to have to surrender more than we thought we would need to. So, Father, I pray that right now, your Holy Spirit would work and move in the hearts of everyone who's gathered. Lord, today, would you break us? Would you help us to trust you completely? Because, God, you've got far bigger plans for us than we have. You could do far more with our lives than we ever could dream. And so, God, we want to see those things happen. And that's why I pray right now you'd help us to humbly submit to your loving, breaking process. That's in Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. If you brought a Bible today, would you go ahead and pull that out? Open it up to Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah is found in the Old Testament. If you're not quite sure where Jeremiah is, you can kind of use the cheat sheet up there or use the table of contents. Uh, if you're a first-time guest with us, we welcome paper Bibles and digital Bibles. So if you've got a Bible on your smartphone, it's okay to pull that out right now and use that. You probably notice some others around you doing that. If you do not own a Bible, then I'm going to encourage you afterwards, would you stop back by our Give and Grow table? We've got two different translations. We'll give you one, and we'd love for you to then bring that anytime you come to Riverwood, because this is what we do every single Sunday. We open up the scriptures together, we study it, and we try to see what is it God is calling us to do in our everyday lives. Also, if you've got a smartphone, please download a Bible to it and feel free to use that on Sundays whenever you come. And that way too, when you're sitting in the doctor's office doing nothing rather than playing Candy Crush, you could open up your Bible and spend some time reading. So we encourage you to do that.
Jeremiah chapter 18. Today we are going to do verses 1 through 6. So let me read that aloud as you silently read along. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Arise and go down to the potter's house. And there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. Well, then the word of the Lord came to me. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. My dad, uh, who I talked about a few weeks ago, the uh, not quite famous Larry Bird, uh, my dad graduated uh, from Kearney State University, now known as the University of Nebraska in Kearney, uh, with an art education degree, which meant he had to learn several different art forms in order to be a teacher, and one of those was clay. I remember when I was probably about four years old, this is the only time I remember seeing my dad work at a potter's wheel, and I was fascinated I remember him sitting at this little round table that whenever he kind of pressed on this step, the, the, the top would begin to spin. And I remember him wetting the, the top and then he reached into this bucket and he pulled out this hunk of gray stuff and he slaps it down and he begins adding water to it and using his fingers and using a sponge, he begins to mold and shape a bowl. And my four-year-old eyes thought my dad was a magician I couldn't believe what he was doing right in front of me. And my dad, you know, being my dad, he starts teaching me, telling me all that he's doing. And he starts telling me how he's going to take it and put it in a kiln, that, that uh, type of fire that was going to, you know, bake it and harden it. And then he was going to take it out and paint it. And, and then he'd put it back in a kiln. And, and he's telling me all these things as I just sit there mesmerized, these big eyes watching my dad. And, I, and I'm wanting my chance. I'm wanting to do what he's doing. And then suddenly the bowl became just a little asymmetrical and it began to wobble. And to my shock and horror, my dad mashed the whole thing up and began again. Now I want you to imagine that little four-year-old Aaron is watching this bowl and starts seeing it wobble and realizes, oh no, it's unsteady. It's not stable. It's not balanced properly. And so little four-year-old Aaron just reached in and mashed it. What do you think would have happened? Yeah, little Aaron probably would have been put in time out, uh, maybe gotten a spanking. You know, my dad would have verbally lashed me because I did not have the right to do with my dad's bull whatever I wanted. My dad was the artist. He was the one shaping it. So when it became unstable, he had the choice to mash it up and start anew. And if he wanted to make another bowl, he could. If he wanted to make a, a, a vase for flowers, he could. If he wanted to just make an ashtray, he could. It was his prerogative because it was his bowl. He was the artist. He could do with it what he wanted. God is an artist. And he created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And he, he starts painting the sky with the stars and he creates bushes and, and, and the water and fish and the platypus. I mean, how creative is that? And he starts creating all these things. But then God, after seeing everything he did was good, he created his masterpiece, humans. And he signed them with his image, putting in them a will and an intellect and personality. It just separated them from the rest of creation. It was like God branded them and said, this one is mine. 
But then Adam and Eve acted like four-year-olds and they mashed the image up. They disobeyed God, eating the forbidden fruit, breaking the only command that God had given them. And in the process, they destroyed the image of God within them. Now, they didn't erase it. It was still there, but it was almost unrecognizable. It was like it had been shattered. Now, God loved humans so much that he wanted a relationship with them. But because they destroyed his artwork, God had warned them that the penalty for destroying my artwork is death. But rather than them pay the penalty, God already had a plan in place that he himself was going to come and pay the penalty for humans. And in that process of dying and being broken, they could be restored. It took the dying process, the breaking process, to bring about what God knew we should be. Do you realize how much God loves to communicate through art? He is a creative God. And he loves using art to help get across deeper thoughts and ideas and concepts. For instance, just look at Jesus. He used words as an art form. He told these parables, these stories with a point. Or some of the Old Testament prophets, oftentimes they would use stories and ideas. If you're familiar with the scriptures, you know like Nathan walks into King David and he uses a story to help get to the heart of David. God loves using art. And he even at times would use props. He, he would use different things to help them see one thing and then they'd realize a deeper concept. And that's what he does with Jeremiah. Because, you see, God had created Israel. He was their artist. He designed them through the descendants of Abraham. And he wanted to communicate to them just how much he loves them, but also how he has the right to do with them what he wanted to do. Because God had a much better idea of what was good for Israel than Israel realized what was good for them. They were starting to follow false gods or they weren't being wholehearted in their worship of God. And God's like, I designed life. I know how it's to be lived. You guys have to trust me. You need to surrender to me. And because I designed you, I can shape and craft you into what I want you to be. And that's why he then tells Jeremiah, head down to the potter's house. I'm going to give you an illustration to share with Israel. God tried to use art to help them realize that they were his art. Now, if you uh, have been a part of Riverwood, you, you know that I am uncomfortable trying to take scripture passages, ripping them out of context, and just applying them however we want. Like, I, I, wanna, I, I really feel like it's, it's faithful for us as, as Jesus followers that when we study the Bible, we need to first understand who, who was God speaking to, what point was he trying to get to them, and then understanding. So now, therefore, what does that mean for us? So that we're not taking certain things that God had promised to, to Israel and try and rip it out of context and make it for ourselves. But I don't think it unfaithful at all for us to look at this passage and realize that this could be said not just to Israel, but it could also be said to us. Because just as God fashioned and formed Israel, God has fashioned and formed you. Last week, we were in Psalm 139. We were in the very last two verses, but just a few verses prior, verses 13 through 15, King David basically starts sharing this poetry of saying, God, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. In other words, David's saying, God, I realize that I am artwork. That means you, all of you, you are artwork. 
The canvas that God used to create you was your mother's womb. And when you came out, the world could celebrate because you were fearfully and wonderfully made. But because the image of God is in you, that means ultimately you belong to God. Now, yes, the image has been distorted and shattered because of Adam and Eve's sin, but it's still there. God's signature is still there. They tried to mar it out, but they couldn't. God's signature was permanent. And so God still has his signature on you, which means God can do with you what he so desires. So that brings us to a question. Am I going to be hard clay in God's hands? Or am I going to be soft? And yes, to be pushed and molded could be uncomfortable. But it's needed and necessary. That's why we prayed last week, Lord, search me. It it was kind of like the anesthesia before spiritual surgery. It's basically, God, search me and reveal to me that which does not look like you so that I can then, in a sense, offer it to you to remove it, to take me apart and take it out. It is uncomfortable, but it's worth it. And the reason I can say that is because I've lived it. Back in uh, 2001, my family and I were living in Denver, Colorado. And we were actually in Parker, a suburb of Denver. And we were part of a small little church plant. I was the worship director. We met in a school. We Most Sundays had maybe 30 people. And I was being paid a small little part-time salary. And I was trying to work another job. And we were trying to let my wife stay home with our kids. We had had Kara. She was about three. And, and little Megan was born out there. And and it was it was tough. Uh, just financially, it was a struggle. And then you throw on top of that, the fact that the pastor had been burned in the past by previous staff members at another church he'd worked at. So he was afraid to develop a relationship with me so that he wouldn't get burned. And so he kept me emotionally at a distance. I was basically just an employee to get things done for the church. And then on top of it, I had come from a ministry in Venezuela where I was the, the campus youth pastor and I'd seen God just work tremendously in my life and had such fruit. And now here I was basically anonymous in, in Denver, Colorado, and just wondering what is my place. And so I'm not doing well spiritually. I'm not doing well emotionally. I'm not doing well financially. And when you heap all this together, I was a big pile of mess. And so in my mess, I called my friend Leo. I had met Leo in Venezuela And Leo quickly became one of my best friends. Leo had been instrumental in in being used by God and just really helping me just chase after God wholeheartedly. Uh, He and I would get together each week early in the morning and just the times of prayer with him and singing and encouragement just helped me go to places that I hadn't been yet spiritually. So when I wasn't doing well living in Parker, I called Leo and I began to pour out my wine. Well, Leo was very patient listened to me. And then he starts sharing how he'd been reading a book. And this book was really affecting and shaping his prayers. And his prayer had become this, Lord, take me apart and remake me. I don't care what it costs. I just want to be like you. Now I've shared this before, but I am not a written prayer type of person. I've got a couple of books in my office with a bunch of written prayers in them, and I almost never use them. 
I, they, they just don't tend to resonate with me. Sometimes I'll read a prayer and just be like, wow, that's beautiful. But most times I just feel like I'm reading someone else's words and they're not my words. I, the way I'm wired, I just need to pray and be honest and talk to God directly. But some reason when Leo shared that with me, something inside me stirred and said, you've got to write this down. And I remember being in our basement there in Parker and, and we had this little corner desk. And I, I remember going scrambling, looking for some sort of piece of paper and a pen. And I'm asking him to repeat it. And I just start, start writing it down. And over the years, this prayer has become incredibly impactful and instrumental in shaping both me and Leo. I wish I had time right now to share some of Leo's story with you. Leo is now a pastor out in Washington state, so it's not very close. But maybe one day Leo will actually visit us in Waverly. And I'd love for him to come and preach and, and share some of his own story with you. But today, I feel that it's, it's um, necessary for me to share some of my story. Because God has used this prayer in my life in this last decade. In uh, 2008, the year of that flood... Uh, one of my, another good friend, his name is Tom. Tom's uh, a full-time pastor. He's, he's uh, probably been a pastor now well over 25 years. And uh, Tom, at that time, he'd been serving a church family in Cedar Rapids for uh, about seven years. And so his church had this policy that after you've served seven years, you get a sabbatical. And I think it was about a six-month sabbatical. And so Tom decided he was going to start his sabbatical with a, a week-long pastor's retreat. There was this pastoral retreat network. They had three sites across the U.S., one of which was in uh, central Wisconsin. Tom went there, and he said it was fantastic. Now, if you knew Tom, he's a very enthusiastic guy. And, and he's, not, he's not the kind of guy who you feel manipulated by. Like, you just hear him rave about things, and you're thinking, I want to do that. Like, hearing Tom rave about the Minnesota Vikings almost makes me want to be a Vikings fan. Not quite, but all, almost. Right? Tom just has this way about him. So when Tom comes back from this retreat saying, Aaron, you've got to do this, Next thing I know, within a couple months, Leanne and I are signing up to do this pastor's retreat. Well, we scheduled this all the way back in May, way before the flood happened in June. The time we set was all the way in November. So we had six months before we were going to get to do this retreat. Now, I had built a spiritual habit of once a month going on a spiritual retreat. So I knew how to do a spiritual retreat for about eight hours. But a week? Like, like what, what, what am I going to do for a whole week? Like, I, okay, I knew I was going to get to sleep in. Tom raved about the food. You eat dinner each night, uh, everyone together. I was going to take along my Bible. I'd take some books. But seriously, what am I going to do? Because there's no TV. There's no internet. And this is back in the day when cell phones, you know, you, you just couldn't get data. It was so slow. So no one wanted to access the internet on their phone. So I'm thinking, what am I going to do? As I was thinking about this and praying about this, a thought came to me. I should follow the advice of one of my mentors. My, one of my mentors, Pastor Ray Barrett, said, Aaron, I think everyone should write a book at least once in their life. The discipline would be really, really good for them. And so I decided that I would use the afternoons of this week-long retreat to begin writing a book. Now, I was blogging at that time, but I still didn't see myself as a writer. I, I just didn't think I really had anything that anyone wanted to read. I mean, my blog had almost no readers. Even my mom didn't read my blog, all right? So, so like, it, it was no big deal. So I never thought that I was going to write a book that would be published, other people to read it. I just thought, okay, this will be good discipline. But there was a problem. I didn't know what to write about. So I, I'm thinking and I'm thinking. And about five months out, all of a sudden I think to myself, I know what I should write. I should write about Leo's prayer. Well, if I'm going to write about Leo's prayer, I should probably like start praying it. That seems like a good idea. And so I did. 
I start praying, Lord, take me apart and remake me. And I'd get to that third line and I'd hesitate because I did care what it would cost. There were certain things on my mental list that I'm like, okay, God, you could remove that. You could take that, but no, 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 not, not, not this. And I couldn't pray it. And so I found myself having to adjust my prayer to basically saying, Lord, I want to be able to pray. I don't care what it costs, but clearly I do. I need you to change me. And this went on for a couple more months. Well, in August of 2008, I went to the Global Leadership Summit. I go almost every August uh, to this conference. And one of the speakers, it was towards the end, it was the second day of the conference, and one of the speakers was a pastor by the name of Craig Groeschel. Uh, maybe some of you have heard of Craig. Um, and Craig was teaching. And as I'm listening to his message at this conference, I had my breakthrough. There was something that he said that just caused me to realize, I don't care what it costs. I trust you enough, God. I, I will do this. You can have me. You can work in me. You can work through me. I don't care. Do it. And for the next couple of months, I was in a sweet place spiritually. My prayers were open and honest. I felt incredibly close to God. It was wonderful until God answered the prayer. I remember it was September 25th of 2008. And I'm in my office and a routine check of email brought up an, an email from a, a church planning network that had bragged they planted, I think, like 13 or 15 churches around the US, U.S. And one of those churches was in Kansas City, Missouri. Well, some of you know I'm a big Kansas City Royals fan, so the, this, the uh, city name jumped out at me. And then it was for this brand new church plant, and there was a link to go to their website. Well, I used to design church websites uh, as a little part-time job. And then I, you know, I'm a wannabe graphic designer. And so I thought, hey, I bet a church plant has a really cool website. And so I wanted to see this cool website for a brand new church in Kansas City, Missouri. So I clicked on the link. And as soon as their homepage loaded, I sensed God say in my spirit, this is where you're going to go to learn to plant a church. Now, you would think that when God gives you an answer to prayer, there would be like a sense of relief. There would be joy. There'd be some excitement. Like you'd want to burst forth in praise of God. You'd want to go and tell everyone. But my response was the exact opposite. I sat there and went through every page of their website, basically saying, no, no, no. Because I knew it meant giving up my church in Cedar Rapids, which I loved. It meant giving up the city that I'd come to love. It meant giving up these relationships, these people that I had come to love. It meant taking my family on this journey. It meant a bunch of things. And it was too high of a cost. And so I said, no. And I fought and I fought and I fought. Now, clearly the fact that we are here today means that God won that fight. But I'm telling you, it was difficult. The breaking process was painful. It meant leaving this church and city that I loved. It meant I had to go and raise funds, which is not my forte. It, it meant I had to go through times where I literally had people look at me in the eye and say, Aaron, I don't think you are capable to do this. I had to watch my family go through some really difficult things. And for the first time in my life, I went through a deep depression in the first year of Riverwood's existence. It has been so painful. 
But it has been worth it. Because if I hadn't prayed the prayer, Riverwood wouldn't exist. Which means I wouldn't know you. And I wouldn't have the joy of seeing God work in you. I've seen some of you come to know Christ. I've been able to baptize some of you. I've seen some of you grow in your relationship with God. I've seen some of you surrender to God. I've seen some of you go through painful things and you're honoring God in the midst of it. I've seen some of you get closer to your spouse. I'm seeing things change with your kids. I'm seeing God do only he can do. And I would have missed all of it. If I hadn't prayed, Lord, take me apart and remake me. I don't care what it costs. Just want to be like you. The thing is, this week as I've been working on it, God's continued to show me. Yeah, there's still some more breaking that needs done, Aaron. I'm not done. And the reason I can say it and pray it is because I trust him. I've seen what he can do. And I am more excited for the future of Riverwood than ever before. Which really is just another way of saying, I am more excited about your future than ever before. But I think for you to see the future that God has for you, and some of you are going to have to be broken. It's going to be painful. Some of you, you're going to have your sin exposed. Some of you, your reputation is going to take a ding. Some of you are going to have some people begin to doubt you. Some of you are going to have to give up some things that you really love. But you have too much you in you. God wants to take out those things that do not look like Christ. He wants to remove your selfishness. He wants to remove your sin. He wants to remove it, not because he wants you to go through pain, but because he loves you too much to leave you as you are. God has a much bigger plan for your life than you could ever dream and imagine. So you need to surrender to this breaking process. But how do you do it? How do you willingly say, okay, God, break me, take me apart, cause me pain? The author in the book of Hebrews, and what is chapter 11, it's become known as the Hall of Faith. Because the author just begins going through person after person after person from Old Testament history who had tremendous faith in God. But as you read through the chapter, you start going, wow, look at Abraham. Wow, look at David. Wow, look at all these people. But then as the, the chapter shifts, and you start seeing him talking about the pain, the destruction, even death that some of these people went through because of their faith. And the writer is trying to say, guys, you got to cling to God through this. And so he wants to encourage his readers. He wants to help them to hold on to their faith in God, even in the midst of pain. And so he starts off chapter 12, basically saying, look at Jesus. I, I want you to hear it for yourself. This is Hebrews chapter 12, verses one and two. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, these, these are the saints that he just talked about in chapter 11. Since we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So in other words, he's saying, guys, let God break you so you can move forward. You got to go back so you can go ahead. Let God do this. But how? Looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In other words, the author is saying, Jesus went through a breaking process, not because he needed to have some sin removed from him, 
but because you and I needed to have our sin removed from us. And so he was broken for us. And so if we can look at the gospel and see how Jesus was broken so that we could be made whole, then we can trust God with our very lives and we can lay ourselves down and say, God, break me because I see the immense love that you have for me through the cross. And if you love me that much that you would give your life for me, then I can trust you to do with my life what you need to do. Help me, God, to be soft clay. May you mold me and shape me into the vessel that you see me to be so I can accomplish your purposes in this world. Next week, we're going to pray, Lord, send me. We're going to be talking about how God wants to send you to your workplace, to your neighborhood, maybe even to another place in Iowa to plant a church, maybe even to the ends of the earth. But before we can get to that, we've got to be so surrendered to God. We don't just say, search me, know me, and make it known. Say, God, change me. Break me, take me apart, and remake me into the image of Jesus. Some of us are going to need to pray. And God, would you answer this prayer even if I don't know what I'm saying? It's this important. God loves you so much. And he can do so much through you. And he wants to rescue you from your mundane, humdrum, everyday life and do something far more significant with you. But that means he probably needs to remove some rotten wood so that he can begin to create something beautiful. So here's what we're going to do. I've invited the elders to come up. Uh, Ed is serving back in Kids Creek, so I've asked Jamie to step in his place. And we're going to stand up here with bread and the cup. And as the worship team leads us in a song, none of you are going to know this song, so you're just going to need to listen to the words. But as you listen to the words, I'm going to invite you, if you are a follower of Jesus, would you come forward and will you break that bread to remember that Jesus was broken for you? And will you dip that bread in the cup, realizing his blood was shed so that your sins could be forgiven? And as you remember the brokenness of Jesus and take that into you, may you then remember, God, will you break me? Will you change me? So Father, I just pray right now that in these next holy moments, your spirit would minister as you need to. God, I pray right now for anyone who's, who's struggling. I pray, Father, that you would give them the courage to pray. Take me apart and remake me. I don't care what it costs. I just want to be like you. God, I pray for anyone here today that has never surrendered themselves to you. They've never bowed their knee before you. They've remained apart from you and they've wondered about this, the whole Jesus story, but today they realize it's true. They're hearing your voice in their heart. They hear you calling them to them. They know that you want them to follow you. And so God, I pray that you give them the courage to pray their first prayer of brokenness, that they would confess their sin, recognizing that it has been forgiven through the cross. And Jesus came bursting forth out of that grave so that they could follow a risen savior. And so because, Jesus, you gave their, your life for them right now, God, help them to give their life to you and allow you to break them. God, I pray for anyone here who's been caught in a pattern of sin. There's been some things happening in secret, whether it be with the computer or with their phone or with a bottle or with pills or, or something that's been going on, a relationship that they know they should not be in. And right now you're breaking them of that. 
God, would you give them the guts to expose it, to let your light shine into those dark places? Would you help them to be soft clay in your hands? God, you tell us in Ephesians 5 that you want to wash us with the water of your word. And I just pray right now that your word, your truth, your gospel would come into our hearts and our minds. And that you would mold, you would shape, you would remove, you would do what you need to do. Oh God, right now, as we take of these elements, as we look at Jesus being broken for us, would we allow ourselves to be broken for you? He would take us apart and remake us so that you can accomplish in us what only you can do. So God, we invite you, do this deep work in us as we pray, as we sing, as we listen, and as we remember. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.